Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan. You can call me Shan. I'm Livs. This week, we're getting the facts we need about COVID with Black Female Doctors UK. Hey guys, welcome to another episode. I hope you're keeping well and everyone's had a good week. There has been a lot of news about COVID, especially about the new vaccinations. And we thought it was really important that we could use our platform to just provide a bit of information and what you need to know. Um, unfortunately, our lovely Roshad is not able to be here for this episode, but we do have two very special, well-educated, professional women who are <laughs> going to give us all the information that we need. So do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, so I'm I'm Dr. Nicole Uchendu. Um I am a GP um and I work in Surrey. And I'm Dr. Lamade Savage and I'm a GP and I work in Chelmsford, Basildon area in Essex. And both of you represent Black Female Doctors UK, which is a community, a blog, a social media page, all about raising awareness and giving a platform to black female doctors. So how did you guys join that? Um, well, I personally joined it because one of my colleagues that went to uh, my medical school and actually Nicole and I went to the same medical school. One of uh, my colleagues went to uh, medical school. She she told me about the plat- uh, the platform and decided that why don't we all just make this, you know, big community. She had already started it and said, can you join this big community of black female doctors? We really need to get our voices heard out there. Um, and yeah, that's how I joined personally. Um, and yeah, I would, I would say likewise, um, very similarly, um, that's probably the same um, person who um, approached you. She was actually my medic. She was my medic mum in, univers- oh. in, in university. So she approached me and said, look, do you want to be part of this um, black female doctors community? Of course. Um, and, you know, she had I think that's when she had sort of begin was starting the actual group then. Um, and I said, of course, I would love to join. And here we are. How long has the platform been running? How long have you guys been a part of the community? And what are some of the things that you've been doing as parts of the community? I thought it had been running for about a year, maybe over, maybe just over, just over a year now. I became aware of it during the um, the first lockdown. I don't know if that's when you um, heard of it, Nicole, but that's when um, that's when uh, Anna approached me personally. And essentially, the platform um, creates awareness of different black female doctors all over the country and they are 
you know, people that are, you know, doing well in their professions. And it's just to make other people who are black realize that, look, you can you can get anywhere, you know, in life. That nothing should limit you. Um, and that there is this, this support group that's there to help you if you're, you know, thinking about pursuing a medical career. Especially, well, A, it's nicer to have a female, I think, a woman more specifically around. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also there's just this kind of bedside manner, if that's what it's mm-hmm. called, that black women yeah. have for other black women. And I think that's reflected in the stats that we see around kind of black women being neglected when in terms of their pain levels or not being believed when it comes mm, to certain yeah, things. Definitely. And I think yeah. having a black doctor or a black nurse definitely makes a difference. I think um, London is probably quite unique because it's it's definitely a lot more multicultural. As you come away from London, the further you are from London, in fact, you get less of a multicultural experience. So definitely, I don't know what it's like in Surrey, I would say very similar, yeah. I mean, I can't, I, GPs, um, in like that I've met sort of along my training um, in, in Surrey here, I haven't met many black female GPs this side. No, I wouldn't say that at all, no. It must be even nicer for you, Nicole, being in Surrey to have this network of black female doctors yeah. kind of to support you. Yeah, De- definitely. And I also think just... I think, you know, when you're in med school, there's a lot of, um, I think a lot of attention is put on London, like wanting to live in London, wanting to work in, work, wanting to work in London. And I think that's just because I think as black people, we t- generally tend to feel more comfortable there because there's things that we, you know, we're, we're, there's, it's like home, isn't it? It's like home away from home, London, because you have, you have access to so many of your comforts, your normal comforts in London. So once you start to come away from London, I feel like it's a bit more, um, you get a bit more worried about, oh gosh, will I be able to buy my plantain or, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> plantain so is for key. me, so for, <laughs> so for me, I feel like, I think, you know, I quite like working in Surrey and being um, almost a rep- representation that you can live and work in Surrey as a black female doctor. You know, you can survive. Yes, there's not many of us, but I hope that, you know, me being here and working here will sort of help, you know, maybe get more people like us in these areas. Yeah, so I think that's part of the the reason why this platform, Black Female Doctors, is great because it, first of all, makes you realise that, you know, you can achieve that you that status in the profession. You can be any professional that you want or any specialty that you want within medicine. But not only that, you can be outside of London too, you know, and um, and still be killing it, basically. So both of you are GPs. Um, how have you found COVID? Have you been going into the clinic? Has it been how how has it affected your professional lives? <sighs> <laughs> yeah (laughs) right um okay (laughs) so i mean during the first basically during the first two lockdowns i was on maternity leave so i have now i am now back working through this third lockdown and it's i i think also because this in terms of the numbers there are more people that are you know being being infected um let me put it this way, more people know of more people being infected with COVID during this lockdown. Mm. So we're getting inundated with telephone calls all the time um, to do with COVID. Everybody is, is scared. Everyone's worried. 
you know, and um, I think now is the time that we really have to dig deep within ourselves to to fight this virus back. Um, and professionally, like, you know, affecting my professional life, I would say it just makes you a lot more, it makes you a lot more focused on being able to provide the right information and the right care to people safely via the mediums that we have available. We know it's not ideal that we are doing more telephone calls for certain circumstances, but we have to, and you know, or video calls, but we have to kind of work within the um, limits that, you know, we currently, we currently have, but it makes you a lot more focused and it makes you a lot more, it, it sort of, heightens your instincts to watch out for things that okay maybe i do need to bring this patient in to see them face to face okay maybe i need to do need to do this home visit it just makes you that much more in tune um and i think it also makes you more empathetic because you realize that everybody's going through a really difficult time at the same time it's difficult on so many levels i don't know one person rich poor black white that hasn't had a struggle since covid started yeah definitely i would definitely second that to everything you just said um so like alamde i actually was on maternity leave during the initial lockdown um, and then i went back to work last year june so i think the i think the lockdown had lifted by then um but of course, the, the first thing that, you know, you realise is or you notice is how different we're working as GPs now. So, you know, that face to face um, comfort that you have, because, you know, as soon as a patient walks in the room without even saying hello or anything, you, you're already you're, you're, you're already assessing that person. You're already assessing that patient. So, you know, those comforts are, are, just, are taking away completely. So I think for me, that was a really big um change for me and I was still a GP trainee there I wasn't actually qualified back then so for me even more so oh gosh I need to really make sure I'm asking all the right questions make sure I'm covering every single um what we call red flags which are things that could be quite serious and make sure we're not missing anything like that so for me that was the biggest change sort of going back to work after maternity leave during this whole pandemic but then I think, as Alameda said, it does really make you um, empathetic. Um, the stories that we hear um, from patients and their families, work situations, it's almost unimaginable. Um, it really does make you think, gosh, we're all really human. Um, and, you know, we don't have powers as we might think we, we do on a normal day-to-day -day basis. We are really sort of, we're almost at the mercy of this virus, essentially. And it's really sort of um, taken a toll on so many people in so many different ways. So I think as GPs, we get to hear those stories. Um, and, I, and I hope as GPs, we also get to be... Um, good listening ears and really sort of, you know, really empathise with our patients. Well, congratulations as well for both being new moms. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say actually that one of the things that I've noticed amongst the medical community here in Jamaica is that they've said that they feel like it's made doctors even more resourceful and more efficient in terms of the way they're working because you have to figure out a way around things, right? This is it. I think there's a lot of... Um you know, misinformation and also like just general ignorance. Like, you know, a lot of people acted as if COVID was left in 2020. And, you know, we just stepped into a time machine where it didn't exist anymore. And that's obviously not the case. But, you know, speaking to you guys who are on the front line, it's such a, 
it's such a reality check that we are still very much in the midst of this. Um, what would you like people to to know when you see them, you know, saying, Oh, Kevin's not real or like, you know, on, on Snapchat yeah. having like a house pie or an oh, illegal gosh. rain. Like what what do you wish people knew? Like what, what would you want to <sighs> okay, tell so, them? Now, I don't know where I mean I don't, the thing is, things are only real until they happen to you. For these, I, I think for this, these cohort of people, the people that are almost living in ignorant bliss, I think it's only real until it happens to them or someone from their family, you know? What's happening right now is that, as Alameda said, someone you know is... Ha- like, someone you know knows someone with COVID. And that's a much closer... That's much more closer to home than it was back last year. So what I would say is that it is very real. And I would say more so now because it really is affecting our our age, our age group. You know, this demographic from 25, 30s, 40s, we are really getting affected by this, this COVID right now. OK, it's really real. And this is not because people have underlying medical conditions. No, these are fit and healthy young people getting COVID. Just last night, I got a message from one of my colleagues. He's, he's in his 30s. His friend has just died of COVID. He was a fit and hell. He was he was a fit and well guy. Nothing wrong with him at all, but he's died. And so I feel like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, rich, poor. I mean, obviously, yes, there are studies to say that, yes, um, BAME are more um, prone to this virus and, you know, having significant um, effects from it. However, this virus is real and it's affecting everybody. And more so now than I would say back last year like it's it's closer to home now so you know I think we all need to do our part to protect ourselves and those around us especially you know if you don't think it's going to happen to you think about who you're living with your parents your siblings your children like think about those people that you don't want to give it on to them just in case you do even if you think that it's not going to affect you but think about others like don't think about yourself think about other people the only thing I would add is that most recently in the practice that I work, they've given us these basically at-home test kits for um, for us to check ourselves twice a week. So we're going to systematically check ourselves twice a week and then we have to enter in the information as well online. So if you if you test positive, then you obviously have to stay home and isolate and so on and so forth. So those things are going to be helpful for us both at work and at home. So we know at home, okay, if you test positive, then you have to be safe. And, you know, it's obviously very difficult to isolate from, from a two-year-old or one-year-old or three-year-old, but <laughs> we shall we shall definitely try. But yeah. So what are the things that we know for a fact that we can stick to that are not like, going to disappear and be like okay that doesn't count anymore because there are some countries especially i think in nordic countries they're talking about masks not being necessary anymore and there are some places they're like oh yeah it doesn't stay on surfaces so what do we know as fact that we can stick to um just in general in day-to-day practice i think that the majority of people are understanding that you know healthcare health services are completely just saturated and we're trying our best but there will always be people who don't uh, practice patience or empathy themselves and so and also there are people who don't even believe that the virus exists or that they believe it exists but is not causing too much of a problem and the conspiracy theorists and so on and so forth so there'll always be um, people and then there'll be the average person who is actually just sick and tired of lockdowns and of you know being subject to the different sometimes seemingly random 
you know, policies and rules that are put into place. So we have to, again, as doctors, practice that empathy. It's so important. But we are on the receiving end a lot. We do get a we do get some days where it just feels like it's directed towards the healthcare or you know healthcare workers, and um, you just have to take a deep breath and try your best to understand where that person's coming from. But at the same time, telling them what the truth is and uh, making them realize that look, we're doing our best, we're trying our best, and that's just it. And sometimes you tell some people, and they're like, okay, fair enough. You know, and then sometimes tell some people and they just keep cussing you out. But that's okay. That's okay. (laughs) You just keep breathing. Deep deep breaths. (laughs) Deep breaths. Remembering what to do is almost having an understanding on how the virus actually works. So the virus um, can only live in cells. It can only live whilst it's in a cell in the body. Now, it can live in droplets, um, which um, you can pass on to each other by sneezing, coughing, breathing too close to each other. Um, So that's how it can be transmitted, okay? Once you get the virus... It can then live inside a cell and then it can replicate and that's when you get quite unwell with it. Now, if you think about this virus, it can stay on your hands as well. It can stay on surfaces for a very limited um, period of time. I can't can't tell you how long that is, but it can stay on surfaces for a very limited period of time. So therefore, if you're not washing your hands and you're touching surfaces that could be contaminated with the virus, you then lick your finger or you rub your eye or you, you you blow your nose or you rub your nose. It can then enter the body and then infect your cells, and then so forth, it could cause a full-blown infection, okay? So the reason why these measures are put in place is if you keep your distance, there's less chance of you sort of breathing on each other, sneezing on one another, to then sort of pass on the virus in that way. If you're washing your hands regularly, then we're also trying to wash ourselves, wash our hands so we're not contaminated, our hands are not contaminated with the virus, therefore lessening the chance of us putting our hand in our eye with a with virus on our hands, essentially. Um, and then you know, and the face mask, exactly that. If we have a face mask on, then you know, the the droplets that people might breathe onto us is limited because there's a barrier in front of our face and our, in front of our nose and our mouth, and vice versa. So those are the reasons why face masks, hand washing and distancing are important because of the way the virus is transmitted and the way in which we pick up the virus, essentially. Especially when you see really, when you see really sick people, when you hear the stories from the hospitals, my husband um, is a cardiologist, he's a doctor. And so when he tells me of what they what's happening in the hospital, when he sees those patients on ITU, people struggling to breathe, you know, people who are, they can't be with their families. When you hear those stories and you see somebody just completely flaunting the rules, it really takes a lot of self-restraint not to go and shout at them, honestly. So on the topic of vaccines, um, there's obviously a lot we don't know, but what do we know so far? There are two vaccines approved for use in the UK at the moment. So I'm sure we've all heard about the Pfizer, BioNTech. And Girl, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Where have you been? No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, so there are two. There are two types of um, vaccines that have been approved for the use in the UK. And one is called Pfizer, BioNTech, and the other is called um, the Oxford AstraZeneca. So those are the two vaccines available. Um, at the moment, um, the the drive is to vaccinate as many people as possible. However, it's been we have been grouped into categories in in order 
a sort of a, almost like a priority list of who's going to get the vaccines first. Both vaccines, you do need two doses. So you need one dose and then you need another dose three to 12 weeks, um, three up to 12 weeks later. Right now, um, we're prioritising care, care home workers and residents, um, residents of care homes, and also those, those over 80 years old and health and social care professionals, as these are deemed as the most vulnerable people right now. And therefore, these are the people that are getting the vaccine right now. So I think recently there was an announcement by Boris um, Johnson saying that he wants to vaccinate all these people by mid-February. So that's the target we've been given at the moment. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Um, but that's, that is the priority to try and get all these people vaccinated, because I think these are the people who are getting the vaccine very um, easily and quickly. So those are the two different vaccines that we have um, to use at the moment. Um, I have more experience with the Pfizer because that's what my area are using. Um, we are injecting people with the Pfizer vaccine. Um, there are so many um, different rules about the vaccine because it's a very difficult um, vaccine to um, manage because it has to be stored at certain temperatures. Um, it can only be used at certain temperatures. So there's a whole lot of training that you need before actually sort of administering the training, um, administering the vaccine, just so you understand exactly how to use it. Yeah, I was going to talk about the how it actually works um, next. And I just want to say before I start talking that I am not a virologist, neither am I an immunologist or a specialist in this vaccine in any way. But I am going to try my best to explain it. So um, I'm going to try and, you know, make it simple because I think that's the best way to understand it. So germs can germs like viruses or bacteria can come into our body and cause an infection right now our body recognizes this as bad and it doesn't want to get sick so it's going to produce soldiers also known as antibodies that are going to fight that infection and destroy it now if we haven't if our bodies haven't seen that germ before, sometimes it can take a while for us to develop those soldiers and, you know, develop the immunity to fight those infections. And so that's why some people are sick for some time before they start fighting the infection and getting better. Like, for example, if you got uh, chicken pox, it takes a while and then you get better, but you generally don't tend to get chicken pox again, um, for the most part anyway. Now, a vaccine is a type, it's a prepared drug that has part or a whole germ that is either dead or alive in definitely always quantities that are harmless that is then sort of you know obviously injected into the body and the body recognizes this as oh this shouldn't be here and it develops these soldiers to fight it and it puts these soldiers on standby so that if you ever get the full infection in the future, you have those soldiers, otherwise known as your antibodies, on standby to fight the infection. So that's how most vaccines we know work. So polio, measles, so on and so forth. Now, the technical difference with the, the COVID vaccine is that it has something in it called RNA. Now, RNA, hmm, what is RNA? Basically, if I was to cut myself right now, there are a set of instructions, also known as RNA in our cells, that will tell my body how to heal 
that part of the body. So those sets of instructions known as RNA are in our body cells and it's going to tell the cells what it needs to do to reproduce the the bits that I've you know injured. So in me, for example, it's going to produce some black skin because that's what my RNA is going to tell it to do, right? So coronavirus is made up, it's round and it's like a ball and it has lots of different spikes around it. Some of us have seen the photo of what it looks like and the really, really clever scientists have basically isolated that RNA that produces the, the, the RNA, the set of instructions that produces the spike, right? So that's now put into the vaccine. And when the vaccine goes into a person's body, so mine, for example, it's going to tell our cells, it's going to, it has that, the RNA the RNA will give our cells the instructions to produce that spike, only the spike, not the whole virus, just the spike. And that's enough for our body to get these soldiers to start training themselves to fight the virus. Okay, so if in the future I get infected with coronavirus, my body already has those soldiers on standby, ready to recognize, oh, that's a spike protein and I'm just going to fight it because I've I've trained myself for it. That's all it is. It's not the whole virus in the vaccine at all. It's just the, the instructions that tells our body how to produce the spike protein that actually then trains our cells to be ready for it in the future. Mm-hmm. That's actually like the most... That was definitely the best explanation I've heard. So good. That was so good. So, so good. So a vaccine, you know, it's about helping your immune system and, you know, building your immune system. But when you describe it, it seems so simple and so it seems so logical. And yet so many people are scared of vaccines or you know there's there's a huge stigma against vaccinations especially within the black community um i'm gonna say that i am one of yeah those i was yeah like what was your experience with like vaccinations growing up well i didn't get them so my dad was very anti-vaccines so that little mark that everyone has on their arm because they got is it mmr I didn't, I did I don't have that because I didn't get, um, I mean, HPV is a much newer vaccine for me because yeah. I only came out when I was in my early 20s, even I think, or late teens. Mm. But um, even the older vaccines that were tried and tested and, you know, previously, I didn't get them until I was ready to go off to university because my parents just didn't believe in maybe one, the necessity and two, the mm. idea of injecting part or a whole bit of a virus into your body for um preventative measures i guess so i'm i it's not that i don't trust vaccines generally obviously there is an inherent mistrust that we have within the black community for um the healthcare system in general but when it comes to to vaccines specifically i think i'm just wary of the fact that how did we develop this vaccine so quickly when um, you know, other vaccines that we've had against polio and MMR and TB, as you mentioned, took years, if not decades, to make perfect, you know, and how I think it's more like, especially for I, what I've noticed within the WhatsApp group on that we have for Dope Black Women is that a lot of women are worried about 
its impact on their capacity to reproduce if they want to have kids or you know which i think may be far-fetched for for doctors but i think historically when we've looked at vaccines and the side effects that have been born out of that they do feel like legitimate questions you know um so i had them in school um and it was kind of something that you know i had grown up and i didn't really question i think that Part of that is because I didn't grow up in a religious household. So my parents saw the science of it first and foremost. So, some people tie it to religion in that, you know, it's kind of messing with what you should be adding to your body. And like, I think there's this sort of connection between religion and the health community that can get quite awkward and uncomfortable. But I didn't really, yeah, because I grew up in a house where it's more about, you know, this is the best that you can do. So we're going to do it for our kid. It was more like that. Um, I think growing up, um, I mean, I grew up in Africa, so my parents were trying to make us survive. So they're like, girl, whatever you got to take to survive. (laughs) (laughs) Survive. (laughs) But no, for real, my mom, my mom's, um, she's a physiotherapist and she, um, I mean, from a religious home, actually, but she has always seen the science of things. So she you know felt definitely that growing up that that was definitely that was the best thing to do also her father was a doctor so um there was a a lot of medicine growing up so she felt that was the best thing for us I think uh Nicole I'm sure you're going to chip in definitely for because um Leanne mentioned quite a few things that are very important and I it's very important we address them because if we don't address them, people will continue to have a lot of misconceptions around not only vaccines, but these specific vaccines. And I think as to the question of how has it been produced so quickly, the first important thing to say is that the, the, the basis of the vaccine or the template of the vaccine has been around for a long time. This is a specific type of coronavirus right? But there have been other coronaviruses in the past. And they have been working on a vaccine since the emergence of these coronaviruses for the last 10, 12 years. It's not the, this, and so this RNA, this RNA vaccine is not new. It's something they've been working on for a long time. It's just in the more recent months that they've developed it to work against this specific coronavirus. So they've been working on it for years because they thought that such a time could come when we need it, especially when the Ebola crisis came. People realized that actually we don't know too much about this Ebola. We don't want to put a whole Ebola virus in a, in a human being's body. So we want to start finding ways that we can put a segment of it that it is just the instructions and not even part of the virus itself, as I explained before. Absolutely, absolutely. I completely agree with everything you said there, definitely. Only thing I would add also is that what's helped it speed up, and I think you touched on this, Alameda, is where other vaccines or even medicines, any medicine takes, you have to do multiple trials so you have to test it on so many different populations age groups people with you know different people with with medical conditions people with no medical conditions where where that usually happens step by step so one after the other they've been able to do these alongside each other so they'll be doing multiple trials alongside each other to speed up the process because as Alameda says it's that it's that let's do this part 
see what the outcome is, then if that's okay, we can then move on to the next. No, what's happened is that they're doing all these different trials all together at the same time, which means that you come to your end so product, I, I guess. Am I, so am, am I right in thinking that, because um, I think a lot of people don't know this either, is that coronavirus is the the, the name family of the, it's the family yeah. like really? yeah like Ebola that's is a right. type of coronavirus you are very correct exactly. so like yeah so like that's covid-19 right. is actually the more technical term the, that's right SARS-CoV-2 yeah. exactly that's the one mm. um so uh, apart from that so they had the basis of it already but what also happened was once the pandemic hit there was a lot of diligent and clever people who started working on it, number one. Number two, there was a lot of money and the public and the private sector, so governments and private companies, started pouring money into this project of creating a vaccine and they worked together, which doesn't happen all the time, to produce this vaccine. And apart from that, one of the reasons why vaccines take a long time to be approved is it, it can be quite a rigorous process because to put anything in a human body requires a lot of tests, a lot of trials. They also requires volunteers willing and it also requires the, the, the what's it called, the illness to be around in the community enough for us to make sense of it all. All those things happened mm. particularly during this pandemic. There's a lot of money, lots of funding, all the people that are there to fast track the process so that when you know, I don't know, Elmer writes the approval for the vaccine or writes how it should go, then she's going to pass it on to Leo, who's literally waiting to to approve it. Do you know what I mean? It's from desk to desk to desk to desk. Whereas before, those things would take a lot of time. Elmer will send it to Theo. Theo, is his wife is pregnant, and so therefore he's not at work for the next six weeks. And then when he comes back, <laughs> they realize that actually, oh, we don't have enough volunteers. It's so not do you priority. know what I mean? So all yeah. those things happened. It's a combination of the vaccine, the basis of the vaccine has been around for a long time. There's been a lot of funding. There's been a lot of hard work. And there's also just been a, a priority to get it done because we're in the middle of the pandemic and people are dying. That's why it seems like it's just happened, but it's something that's been going on for years and they just tidied it up during the pandemic. What do you think, just touching again back on the, you know, the relationship between vaccinations and the black mm. community, um, what would you like some of our listeners to know? What what would you want them to be more aware of? Yeah. Uh, first thing is that the, the vaccine was, the trials were done last year and usually most vaccine side effects tend to be um, weeks to months after, um, at most, and so if it all happened last year, we should know about any more suicide effects by now. And trust me, there's so much publicity around it that if there was something absolutely terrible, we would know about it. It, it, it just would be publicized on a major level. I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that um, no matter your, you know, your race, your background, you know, how old you are, if you decide not to take a vaccine, and especially this one, you have to be informed. You have to be making an informed decision. Not only that, you also have to be willing to take the responsibility for your the consequences of your actions. These days, if a patient comes to me and say, look, I don't want my kids to have any vaccinations, I say, that's perfectly fine. You're well within your rights. But here's this weighty 16-page document that tells you the, res the re responsibility you're taking, not only for that child, but also for other children 
Because if your child gets this illness, you could potentially pass it on to somebody else who maybe their immune system is weak or for whatever reason may get the infection from your child and get sick enough, may die or have, live with long-term serious consequences. So that's why I hand them a document saying, this is your responsibility, not only for your child, but for other people around you. Now, this COVID vaccination is quite unique in that it protects you. What we know so far is it, it protects you from serious side effects, oh, I'm sorry, serious symptoms of COVID. It doesn't stop you from getting infected with coronavirus altogether. That's what we know so far. There may be more data that comes out, but that's what we know so far. So even if, so if you decide, oh, I'm not going to take the, the vaccination, you could still get the virus yourself and you could still get seriously ill and you could still potentially pass it on you know, to someone else. So those, those, even if the whole world is vaccinated and you're not, and you get the virus, you yourself can still seriously be ill. So if you choose, if you choose, if you're offered the vaccine and you choose not to take it, you are still personally at risk of getting COVID. So in the past, people have thought that, oh, look, if loads of people are vaccinated, then I don't have to bother being vaccinated. There's still a risk that you are still posing to yourself, if that makes sense. So mm. I think it's you have to be informed. If you're making a decision not to take something, know what could happen. So I think Alameda's explanation was absolutely perfect about what the actual vaccine is and what it actually contains. So I think that sometimes a misunderstanding um, of um, vaccines might be... Um, a barrier to accessing it perhaps it's that you know you've grown up in a household like you yourself Leanne where you know vaccines has just never been part of your I guess your family culture where you just don't access vaccines in that way I think I think you know this is a, this is this is a this is a virus that we are seeing every day you know it's it's been on the news every single day since that day in that day in January or March whenever and I think you know the onus is on us perhaps do our research and sort of look out for okay, what is this vaccine? What exactly does it offer? What are the health professionals? Uh, what is the government saying about this um, vaccine? I mean, Alameda has really beautifully put it now. Um, if people did have questions about the vaccine, I would hope that you could find a healthcare professional to speak to about it, to sort of maybe um, discuss your concerns. But I would, hate, I, wouldn't, I would hate for people to just disregard it or just not look into it without having first having having a conversation or doing your research about it because you know for us you know Alameda and I and you know I, I am from a religious background too so it's not as if you know um black communities we often have a faith whether that's Islam Christianity and I think often and I think, uh, historically and culturally I think we've often looked to our God or or whatever our faith is we've looked to our faith to sort of keep us in good health you know, protect us from anything bad. So I feel like sometimes there's an attitude, well, we don't need anything else because we have protection from above. Um, however, from a person from science, yes, okay, fine. But I do still feel that there is a place for science and medicine, even in all these illnesses and diseases that we're experiencing. Um, and I would hope that even if you're from that kind of background, that you're still do your research, ask questions. And, you know, I guess everyone's their free person. Everyone's their free agent. You, you can make your own decisions. But, you know, we are advocating this because the science is there, the evidence is there. Um, and it wouldn't have been passed without rigorous, going through rigorous processes, essentially. Can I just say, 
the aunties sharing remedies on WhatsApp. <laughs> enough. It's enough. It's enough. Like, enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough, okay. <laughs> you know what? Ooh, like... As far as I'm concerned, every auntie will tell you that ginger, lime, honey will solve everything. <laughs> yeah, so thanks so much for joining us, guys. I have learned so much, especially that white rum and honey doesn't solve everything. <laughs> but, uh,. <laughs> Follow us, make sure that you listen to this episode because it is so important on all of our streaming platforms, anywhere you get your podcasts from, on Twitter and Facebook, we're Dope Black Woman, on Instagram, we're Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week as always, but until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. All the way black. Blackity black. Black tastic. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.